Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. I am delighted to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week two guests who are sisters, Rivera Sun and Marada Cook, who are going to talk to us about a revolutionary shipment of food in New England and the history of salt and nonviolent resistance uh, in the beginning years of the United States. Rivera Sun is the author of a wonderful book I've read and highly recommend, The Dandelion Insert and of a new book I'm very much looking forward to called Billionaire Buddha. She co-hosts Occupy Radio. She does social media trainings and services for good causes. Marada Cook, sister to Rivera Sun, is a food entrepreneur uh, with companies that include the Northern Girl, the Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative, and Fiddler's Green, which will be supplying food for this uh, upcoming shipment from Maine to Boston. Marada and Rivera, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thanks, David. Great to be here. Glad to have you. So tell tell us about uh, this project called Maine Sail Freight. What will it be and what is the purpose? Maine Sail Freight is a project of the Greenhorns, which is a young agrarian farmers um, organization. And uh, you might ask what uh, farming and sailing food around over the sea uh, have to do with each other, but the challenge of the project, or the mental challenge, I guess, to, to others that we invite to participate is to consider that the, the moving of food over the ocean and over the land and the growing of and producing of it have a lot of common themes in, the, in our current um, politics, in our current production, in our valuing of food, in our valuing of people, in our valuing of time, and the resources that are common to us all, like land and wind and water. Um, and there's a lot to explore there. And so we're celebrating the tradition of exploring by sea with exploring, bringing Maine foods down to Boston at the end of the summer um, via sail on a schooner. So, so when exactly will this happen and, and how will it work? What will, uh, what will be shipped and who will be involved? Well, they say the tide waits for no man, um, but the, the boat is the linchpin, and the boat is uh, scheduled to set sail on August 27th and arrive in Boston around the 29th of August. And, and wind power is, is part of the purpose here, to be transporting uh, using clean energy? Yeah, that's definitely part of the purpose. Um, it's also part of... Uh, celebrating our history here in Maine of shipping by sail, um, using the winds as one of our competitive advantages, although that certainly has fallen by the wayside in the in, in the modern mind. But it used to be that the sea from uh, all the way down east to Boston was considered the superhighway of New England, and uh, this was far, far before there was any um, hard highways. And food was very commonly moved along it every day. You could you could ship uh, carcasses of meat from Maine down to Boston overnight. 
And, and will it, what will be the cargo? Will it be carcasses of meat? Will it all be uh, supplied by Monsanto? Well, or what? food safety regulation has changed quite a bit in the last couple hundred years. Um, we will be shipping non-perishable specialty main food items like maple syrup and honey and baking mixes, dry beans, seaweed gathered off the coast of Maine, um, and uh, Maine sea salt, solar evaporated from Maine seawater, um, and uh, many other exciting things I invite you to take a look at. Uh, where, where can people uh, look at that? So we have a website called fiddlersgreenmain.com, and there is a, a very lovely page called uh, Main Sail Freight, where you can see the different kinds of cargo that we're putting together to ship down. Fiddlersgreenmain.com. And you mentioned salt. Salt plays a key role in this, right? Well, uh, this is Rivera. I guess this is where I chime in yes, as an activist and uh, someone who's interested in nonviolent struggles throughout the years. You know, one thing about Maine self-rate, and it's tied in with what's happening in the local food economy up here in Maine, is that we're actually in a pivotal moment of change around it, that there's a boom going on in local food and regional food, something that has a lot of political relevance uh, in today's times when we're facing the uncertainties of climate change, when we're looking at corporatized trade deals like the TTIP and the TPP, um, that local food is actually our self-reliance and it lessens our dependency on, well, we could call them our oppressors, but they, um, you know, they're generally regarded as people sitting in the actual halls of our power in D.C. But, you know, one thing about salt, and that's how we got off on this, is that it has a long history of playing a rather important role in revolutionary struggles. A lot of people are familiar with Gandhi's 1930 salt satyagraha, his salt campaign, um, during which he broke the British monopoly on uh, the salt. So the British were holding complete control over it. Salt is a staple of Indian life. It's a preservation. Um, And Gandhi said, well, we're not going to be paying our money to buy the British salt and supporting their rule over us, and we don't want them here anyway. We're going to break these laws, undermine their authority, build our own self-reliance, and sell salt while we're at it. And with typical Gandhian flair, he uh, marched to the sea and broke the laws and continued to break the laws. And it was a, a major pivotal campaign for Gandhi. Now, most people don't know this, but Uh, 150 years before Gandhi overthrew the British Empire using nonviolent action, the American colonists were actually using a lot of the same techniques to establish their independence from the British Empire. They were using boycotts. They were using non-cooperation, parallel governments, um, strikes, uh, acts of defiance, um, marches, petitions, all the rest of the nine yards. They were using boycotts before we even had the word boycott. That wouldn't be invented until 1880. 
Give, no, give, uh, uh, give us some examples, because I think you're right that people don't know this, that people think, uh, you know, it was a good deed done by a, by a war, and, and the United <laughs> States was made independent by war, and therefore all wars in the future are good wars because you needed a war to get independent, and, and, that, and that nonviolent action is something that's been developed uh, in the late 20th century. Um, what, what specifically were, were colonists doing back in the day? Sure. The Continental Congress is an excellent example of a parallel government institution. Now, it had some legitimacy, some authority. Uh, they were, the various chapters of it were set up officially. Um, but it, when it you know, signed the Declaration of Independence, it said, we are now the official government of the colonies of the United States. Um, this was a, a pretty powerful act of what had been a constructive action, these establishments of the parallel government. Now, along with the, the, um, the tax on tea was a major turning point, this exorbitant tax that came on the importation of tea to the colonies, uh, led to, you know, this rather famous uh, moment of non-cooperation where Bostonians dressed up as Native Americans and marched down to the harbor and took all the tea and import goods off a ship that had arrived and threw them in the harbor in an act of defiance. It was a symbolic protest. It's also a, my, an act of property destruction, which we could uh, talk about at a later date in longer detail. Um, but then they also were non-cooperating with the tax. They non-cooperated with the quartering of British soldiers in their homes. Uh, they, they had several waves of boycotting of British goods uh, throughout the colonies that really impacted uh, what Great Britain was able to do at various points. The list actually goes on and on, and the research is, is getting more and more specific about how these uh, different types of actions helped them find their independence. Uh, along with that tax on tea, there was also, at the same uh, set of tax laws, a tax on salt. That's how we get back to this theme. That the um, the tax on salt was particularly hard felt because uh, all the fisheries up and down the coast of not just New England but entire North America relied on salting the fish in order to ship the fish out for import for export. Um, so it was a major hardship when they suddenly taxed this salt over the top. But it was particularly compounded by the fact that nowhere in the colonies was there a single salt work. So while the, the colonists were actually fairly self-reliant in many ways, they weren't for their salt. They were importing it at that time uh, from the British uh, Caribbean. So the Continental Congress quickly issued a proclamation saying, we will pay a bounty on salt. Whoever will build a salt works and produce barrels of salt, we will buy it from them. And we will then use that within the colonies to salt the fish and preserve the food that we need to survive. And this set off a salt works explosion in 1776, where people started building salt works up and down the coast. Now, Cape Cod was particularly excited about it, and they actually invented a new um, system of drying. It took far too many cords of wood to actually dry out the, um, the salt, so they would evaporate it using solar energy. But, you know, if you've ever been to New England, you know it rains every third day. 
so they also invented a set of rolling uh, covers, canvas covers that would keep the rain out of the drying trough. So, you know, this was just one of the many kinds of nonviolent action that they were using. The, the constructive end of it in this, uh, in this uh, example is actually the construction and the use of salt. The, what we would call the obstructive action is the boycott of the British import of salt. And this, together they create a system that both strengthens the self-reliance of the um, resistance movement and undermines the uh, authority and the strength of their opposition, in this case, the British Empire. And is this, uh, maybe Marotta can speak to this, is, is this the sort of technique of salt production that's, that's being used now? And are, are these the sort of uh, themes that are motivating the, the, the ship that will be sailing at the end of August? Yeah, uh, Maine, Maine is very lucky to have many, many foods that are produced here, including the salt. And many of those foods are produced in a fairly traditional model with a little bit of innovation. Um, blended in, sort of the best of both worlds, I, I hope. Um, the salt that's produced here now is solar evaporated in greenhouses, um, which, you know, a greenhouse technology has evolved and become a lot more affordable thanks to the Young Farmers Movement and the, the movement to farm more locally and extend those seasons rather than importing food to meet the seasonal um, demand from far, far away. We've tried to meet it here using greenhouses. Um, so yeah, we're we're uh, there's currently I think four salt works on the coast of Maine, um, and uh, we we buy from uh, a couple of them, but one in particular for this trip called Maine Sea Salt Company, and um, yeah, it's it's fairly similar. You know, the technology of evaporating the water out of the salt hasn't hasn't really changed, and probably won't. And and is there going to be sort of community involvement in? getting all of this food onto this ship and then selling it once it gets to Boston, or is it just going there, to be... There's going to have to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the thing of, things about wooden spooners is they're not really designed for forklifts to drive on them and uh, load pallets in. Uh, so, yeah, we have a, a troop of um, stevedores and uh, boat loaders to help out, and then we have a crew of volunteers down in Boston, although I think they're still looking for a few more, if your listeners are in the Boston area, um, to help unload the cargo and set up at the Boston Public Market for three days. Um, they're going to have a little uh, market set up for all of the main sail freight uh, products. You can also pre-order the products online and pick them up at the market. So they, we definitely need some help. Um, this is a human-powered uh, enterprise and uh, celebration. And um, along with the wind, I guess we're not we're not providing. Well, maybe today on the radio we're providing <laughs> a little of the wind, but in general we're relying on the sales to get the product to Boston. But once it gets there, we're relying on the people to help get them where they need to go. But there should be lots of great people in Boston listening to this. How do they get involved? And if people want to help in in Maine, how do they get involved? Sure. Well, I encourage them to. Um, check out the website. Uh, in addition to the Fiddler's Green main uh, page where you can find the product, there's also a Facebook page for Maine Sail Freight Project. And there's um, listed on their contact information. You can email us at fiddlers at info at fiddlersgreenfarm.com. 
um, and we'll help connect them to the particular person who's court. There, we have different coordinators for different parts of the project. And, and is this uh, is this sort of an initial shipment aimed as a model for something to become standard hmm. practice or to be repeated sure. annually? Or so we've had events running all summer with a bunch of different models, models from um, individual sailors bringing products to a farmer's market and participating in selling boat-delivered foods and other goods in that way, um, to showcasing at Tall Ships events, like Tall Ships in Portland and the Hermione's um, Castine Landing, um, to having a river sail um, down the Kennebec River, because we for often forget about the rivers in our... Um, sailing dialogue, but the original sail freight project was a very successful venture that Greenhorns did um, called the Vermont Sail Freight Project, and it went down the Hudson River to New York. Um, so we see the big ship going to Boston as um, one of many ways in which sail freight can be celebrated, and I think that our hope is that through doing a fairly, you know, larger scale, somewhat exciting, I hope, and dramatic uh, voyage that we can inspire sailors, um, particularly um, young sailors and people who may sail not just for pleasure, um, but also those who sail for pleasure, to consider their role in commerce and trade and connecting their mobility and um, networks with those of the producers of food. So... I see a lot of opportunity to express this um, sort of nouveau, nouveau trading. <laughs> um, N- nouveau, but forward. but old-fashioned, traditional as well. I mean, at some yeah, point, this, this was done, and it stopped for some reason. And, it's you know, why not did... Not unlike the farmer's markets. Right, right. You know? The revival of farmer's markets. And... and, and why, I mean, apart from the, the history of the development of, of railroads and, and roads, uh, what, I mean, why isn't this happening now? What forces uh, are opposed to it? I mean, is it trucking industries and railroads and big farms? Or, or I mean, who's, who's being opposed by this Gandhian project? <laughs> this is Rivera, David. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the railroads, and I just had to chime in about exactly what the forces are that shape uh, what we know as modern economy and uh, transportation has been especially impacted by it. Contrary to, you know, any of our Ayn Rand uh, excited listeners out there, um, it's not a free market, and a free market does not guarantee equality and justice. Uh, That's my political plug, one of several on this show. Yeah, I'm not sure how many Ayn Randers are listening, but, uh, (laughs) you know, maybe... You know, when we look at transportation, it's been extremely affected by politics, and that's why we look at regional and local food at this time, and we're also talking about these transnational corporate trade deals of the TTIP and the TPP, that they go hand in hand. And it's really um, a matter not just of, like, do you like Maine sea salt and maple sugar candies, but also what kind of world do we want to live in? Do we want to live in a world where our communities work together to support one another, or in a world where the domination of a few makes all the decisions for their own benefit over the uh, needs and desires of the many. I mean, that's really what's at stake here with these transnational trade deals and also 
with the alternative. So when you ask who is who is being opposed by this Gandhian uh, production of salt and this uh, maybe chaotic uh, journey of self right <laughs> what we're really doing in a very understated and lively and fun way is saying this is the vision that we have for the future. We want to see people working together. We want to see all of the, the beautiful traditional things finding new renaissance in the contemporary age. We want to see local food reaching real people, being tasted and savored on their tables. We want people in Boston to order on the, on the ship. We want them to get a box or a barrel or a uh, bundle of goods that they know were produced by very real and often young people, which is another whole story to this adventure. So, you know, it, it's chaotic, it's Gandhian, it's revolutionary, it's beautiful, it's main self-rate, and it, it contains in one little uh, very colorful nugget so much of what's happening in a very positive and a very negative way in our world. So I think that's it's just one of the, the exciting things that David, I just, I might add, too. Yeah, go ahead. It's just that here in Maine, it's not an abstract concept about who has access to the waterfront and who has the right to dock their boat and who is able to uh, participate commercially over the water and over the land. These aren't abstractions for us. These aren't transnational. Well, (laughs) there are some transnational players involved, but these are things like, um, you know, A young person that wants to fish lobster can't usually afford to live in a town that has a port or a dock, you know. So we're um, we're really up against um, some real issues when it comes right down to can we make a livelihood on the water or on the land. And I think that those resonate with any um, city, town, state, or country that's got a seaside. Um, There's competition for that real estate. And I think that with sale freight, we say that Part of the competition for the real estate is commercial. It's just the kind of commercial that maybe you haven't thought of before. Just like farmers markets edging their way into the center of cities and saying, we have a place at the table here. We have a place in the city here. We have a place in trade. This is trade. And it does happen in extremely high-value real estate. And the people, you know, people who produce food, young people, old people, we have a right to trade as well. And I, so I think, you know, we're, that's kind of the, the sort of the theme of what's being opposed. When they went to register <clears throat> that the boat was going to sail into Boston, the Port Authority no longer had a category for a commercial a ship that was going to engage in commerce trading goods that was a sailboat. It just didn't, there was no category for that. There's categories for sailboats, and there's categories for ships bringing in goods, <laughs> yeah. but not not the same. So. With re- with regard to the, and we have uh, five minutes left, with regard to the TPP and the these other corporate trade agreements that are in the works, um, I, I, I'm glad that you are connecting this to those. Um, could you, uh, one of you, maybe talk for a minute about what the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, and these other agreements would do to the growing of food and the and the selling of food in the United States, uh, and what the status is, because
because I think a lot of people, uh, when Fast Track was passed through the Congress, uh, arrived at the misunderstanding that the TPP had been passed, uh, whereas in fact it is uh, still to come to a vote and people's Congress members and senators are in their states and districts now uh, and ought to be hearing from us. I can, this is Rivera, I can answer about the TPP uh, resistance, and it's really not over. There's just a big uh, headline that came up, TPP is dead. Well, if it's dead, this is going to be like a monster rising out of the grave. Um, it's not done. The, you shouldn't believe the headlines. We need the pressure on to get this, this trade deal to not pass. And then we have to do it with TTIP, which is the Atlantic version as well. Um, you know, people can find out about how to join the resistance, which actually is going far beyond just calling your senators, because this is a very important issue into direct action, into a major mass mobilization in the fall. They can find out about that at flushthetpp.org. Flushthetpp.org. Maybe, Murata, you want to talk a little bit about this trade deal and how it uh, impacts local farmers and growing and food. Well, I wish I could give you a, a great cohesive answer about that, but I think that, um, by and large, those of us who are working for a living are being kept very much in the dark about how this would really impact us, and um, that's not a great situation to be in. Um, we, we kind of all felt, felt that way with NAFTA as well, and look what happened there. So I think that, in general, um, and I know it's kind of risky to generalize about things like this, but... Um, you know, our legislators aren't down there writing legislation that will kind of protect the interests of small business people who are trying to produce foods here. Um, and, uh, you know, we have so many domestic agricultural issues and farm bill issues, and I, I think that the um, international trade deals are often kind of abstracted um, in our minds, but everything about the food that how food is priced in this country is decided on a global basis, and so the the idea that producing food locally is possible, it's only possible in the context of what the consumer is willing to pay for that, and some of that is um, decided in relation to what the consumer thinks the price of that good should be, and a lot of the what the consumer thinks the price of that good should be is decided by what our international trade. Um, landscape looks like. <laughs> so. I would also add just there, there is a clause we do know from the, the leaked text of the TPT that talks about the trade tribunals, which have all corporate lawyers sitting on them and which would oversee the enforcement of the TPP uh, regula regulations. Now, one of the things about these tribunals is that they're designed to be able to overturn local, state, and federal laws. Um, to reduce barriers to trade, that's the phrase, barriers to trade. And really that becomes a race to the bottom of the least common denom uh, denominator. And in our case, one of the very clear things that it would very quickly do, is, like the Monsanto Dark Act, is eliminate consumer protections, particularly labeling laws are right there at the top of the list of things they, the international trade deals and the international trade lobbying force have been after for years. They just reversed the law about labeling meat. So um, this is just one of the many examples uh, of how these trade deals would affect our lives. 
we as people are cut out of the equation, our politicians are cut out of the equation, they're not negotiating these deals. They're just now seeing this text that has been negotiated by corporate lawyers and not by our politicians. Yeah, and we haven't seen it yet, and we need to. Uh, FlushTheTPP.org, that's a great site to send people to. The site for this project is FiddlersGreenMain.com, and we have been speaking with Rivera Sun, whose books you should read, including The Dandelion Insurrection, and Murata Cook, and you can find her also at Crown of Maine Organic Cooperative and Northern Girl. Uh, Rivera and Murata, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thanks for having us. Always a pleasure. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.